0: Hello and welcome to Say That, the podcast where your big questions get real answers. My name is Matt King. I'm your host in the city of Chicago, and joining us here is Jed Brewer. Hey, hey. Also with us all the way from Rutgers, Tennessee, Lee Younger. That's right. We're here. That's right. We, uh, when Jed starts off with a crusty reference, I'm concerned about where this is going to go, but
1: uh, <laughs> from nowhere but down.
0: Now, my favorite part of the show, we're going to talk to the audience. Uh, this is always death. <laughs> So we do have a great show for you lined up. We got some more of your amazing questions. But first, speaking of showbiz veteran Herschel ooh, we must open up with a why are you doing this emergency? And uh I, I sent around to my my co host here a video clip earlier. And I'm gonna I'm gonna endeavor to drop the audio in here. And we are gonna <laughs> let you listen to it. And what you're gonna hear is some fairly um Some fairly run-of-the-mill, bad, Christian play. We're trying to do a rap. So we'll let you listen to that, and then we'll come back. Okay, so you heard that, and you, you know, that's about what you expect. Here's the thing you didn't know, is that those two people were dressed as Luke Skywalker and Han Solo.
1: Yeah. <laughs>
0: There's no reason you would know that because the lyrics make no reference to it, but you are listening to not only a bad Christian Easter play, but a fully Star Wars themed one.
1: Yeah, yep, oh, man.
2: Yeah, I like gonna... the idea of going to back, going back and like running the show back and and re-listening to the rap, picturing the the Han Solo and the and the Luke Skywalker character.
0: Yes, you can you can find uh these things linked uh t Twitter account uh from a, a YouTube video uh video essayist uh Jenny E. Nicholson uh has c- compiled a few of these over the last couple months. There's a church called Church at the Rock in Winnipeg, Canada. Very much not to be confused with the Church on the Rock, which is a very different thing where I don't think they do any Star Wars themed. Um, liturgical dramas, but I could be wrong.
2: Shows What you know,
0: (laughs) Hey, I've never been there, but you know, it'd be a heck of a venue. I will read from a relevant magazine article, uh, from April 26th says, all right, there's no easy way to say this. So let's just get to it in the video below, referring to a video from one of these churches, uh, uh, Easter liturgical dramas, not the star Wars one. It says in the video below, Loki, Loki crucifies Iron Man while Chumbawamba's 1997 hit Tub Thumping plays in the background.
2: Wow, that's quite a sentence. Yeah.
0: Of that sentence, it left out about like four crazy things.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> One of them being Iron Man, it's not playing in the background. The Iron Man character is singing the chorus to Tub Thumping, which is preceded by the Loki character in like what would you guys describe these as? Like an upper level Halloween costume version of these costumes? Like you you didn't get it at Walmart. You had to go to the costume store for it, but it's still not good.
1: When you when you go to the Spirit Halloween store, they got their cheap version and their nicer version. And you got the nicer <laughs> version from the Spirit Halloween store.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's like the Loki guy has a big helmet with the horn, but everything. Like, everything is definitely, like, kind of looks like pajamas on everyone. But so they're they're putting the, the Iron Man character on a cross beam to crucify him. And uh, he sings the chorus of tub thumping, as you are probably aware, with the I get knocked down, but I get up again. Get it? It's Easter. But that's preceded by Loki <laughs> character singing in a really subdued way the chorus of it's the end of the world as we know it. Yeah. Mm. While what appears to be Thor, Black Widow, Captain America, and a, just a woman in a purple blazer and a black skirt—I'm not sure who that is—look uh, on and don't try to stop it.
2: At times, well, there's there's also the uh, the Ultron bots that are holding Iron Man in place, Matt. That's so I what don't know what you expect those heroes to do about it.
0: That's that's very fair. Um, yeah, so. You think, well, everybody has an idea, but I read on. This is just one of the many pop culture passion plays. I don't know if I'd use that term. Oh, my gosh. Um, Put together by the team at Church of the Rock, an interdenominational multi-site church in Winnipeg, Canada. Most of these videos can only be streamed from the church itself around Easter Sunday. For the past few years, the church has been staging elaborate live-action productions of famous movies turned into musicals with an Easter theme. In addition to the Avengers movie, Toy Story, Back to the Future, and Pirates of the Caribbean have all gotten the treatment. (laughs) Most of them do seem to involve some sort of crucifixion scene, whether the victim is Doc Brown, (laughs) Jack Sparrow, or Simba.
2: What? Doc Brown? I see Doc Brown as more of a Merlin character in kind of an Arthurian way. I just don't know if that really fits into Christology. Yeah, yeah, I can dig that. I think, if anything, Doc Brown would
0: be more of a Satan character if you had to cast him somewhere. Like, he's, he's really tempting him. I guess Doc Brown, if anything, would be... Kind of, yeah, you know, no, I'll give you the almanac, but you mustn't use it.
2: Yeah.
0: (laughs) Oh, I think that's a better one, is you could do, maybe not an Easter person, but you could do, like, Genesis with Back to the Future and the almanac. What is that, if not knowledge of good and
1: evil? Oh, that's good. That's 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 it.
2: That's it. Look, I've I've worked at a church for a long time now, and I can tell you that uh, getting, you know— something out of the ordinary ready for an Easter service is a lot of work. It's either that or I don't like work. But what I'm telling you is the level of, of buy-in that these people are getting like a team of human beings to not only to re to write, to get, to make sets for, to buy props for, to get costumes from the spirit Halloween store, you know, upper deck, as Jed said, to rehearse these numbers and to pull off, these plays with, you know, I, I don't really understand it, but with very copyrighted material, like, I don't <laughs> yeah, know. Yeah. Like
0: Disney will sue your birthday party.
2: <laughs> yeah, they
1: yeah. will.
0: <laughs> How is this going on? Maybe Canada is the lawless land. We all suspect it to be, <laughs> um, particularly Winnipeg. But the, yeah. The copyright aspect of this is absolutely fascinating. But to, to Lee's point, the other part that's that I, I feel like I can track some of the if I had to write the backstory to this, we, the three of us, and maybe you, your listener, have had a lot of experience with people in a church context who had a big idea. Oh, yeah. And the most common type of big idea is when the pastor decides, I saw this movie or read this book or went on this type of trip, and I'm going to build my whole sermon around right. this idea. And here's the thing that never works.
1: Nope, it yeah. doesn't.
2: The, the, uh,
0: the phrase we have used around, around the bridge, around this podcast, kind of amongst ourselves for many, many years at this point is just say the thing.
2: Yep. Yeah. And, and another phrase we are, you know, that, that we say quite a bit is why don't you start with something I feel? Yeah. If you're going to yeah. talk to me, what, why don't you talk about my life? And not the thing you think is neato. Yeah,
0: that's a very, very good starting place is here's a common thing we can all agree on and not here's a piece of media I enjoy. I'd like to explain to you why I enjoyed it in the hopes that you'll enjoy it enough for me to make this sermon point stick. <laughs> so we, we I think what we have here writ large is the this this they'll love it once I explain to them. I think I've told the story in the show before, so I'll, I'll tell a quick version of it. It was, it was actually at a Young Life camp, and the, the guy who was doing the speaking was a very nice guy from Missouri. And he uh, he wanted to talk about this one part at the very, very end of the Denzel Washington movie. I think it's Man on Fire, where he's, like, yep. protecting a kid. Okay, but here's the thing, and he wanted to show it, but for the last, it's the last scene of the movie. For that to have any emotional resonance, you need to understand everything else that happened <laughs> in the movie. Yep. And that's what happens with all of these, whether it's a Lord of the Rings reference or the Avengers, right. or, you know, I read this amazing thing about this historical thing. The reason it hits the person telling it is because they have an interest and a background knowledge in this thing. Yeah. So you get the, oh, well, um, in the late sixties, Stan Lee started Marvel comics with, uh, with, the fantastic four and that would grow into it and the. Uh, and all that to say there's one scene in Iron Man three that I think really has a lot to do with grace or whatever. <laughs> yeah. So what we have here is where like pastor Mark Hughes is this gentleman's name who writes all these for this church and apparently uh, has a, pl- has a, a place in them. He plays the o- Obi-Wan Kenobi character for some reason, renamed only one cannoli.
2: Oh man. Oh, uh, Oh,
0: in the star Wars version uh to go along with other totally unnecessary puns, Luke Moonwalker, which I think is supposed to be funny, and ham ham solo. And instead of Yoda, we've got y- Yoda, we've got Yoga. Here's the funny thing, though. Princess Leia is just called Princess Leia, R2D2 and C3PO are just called R2D2 and C3PO. I don't think Luke Moonwalker is going to get you out of this lawsuit, my man. <laughs> but all to say. I feel like we had a thing where he thought, oh, if like the Star Wars would be a really good analogy. I, but I have to explain, you know what? I'll just make an hour musical out of it <laughs> instead of explaining it, which is really the wrong direction. Yeah.
2: Well, and to your, to your earlier, earlier point about preaching, you know, the, the point is I have come to your service. Um, I have a difficult life with things going on. Can you help me? That's that's really the question. Can you say something that's going to bring me some comfort, some encouragement, some can you set me free in some way? Can can you help me? And what happens a lot of times is somebody's like in their head about like but I see myself as the writer of musicals. And I think I should get Tony awards. I'm not going to get Tony awards, but I do have this church And somehow, this unbelievable budget, I think I'll go ahead and write musicals now. And knowing a little bit about Broadway musicals, I can tell you most of them go through a write and rewrite process that lasts anywhere between seven and ten years. Some of them get written dozens of times. Many of the ones you've ever heard of, rewritten over 30 times. And you know, so uh, Pastor that sees himself as a Tony Award-winning musical guy, hey, why don't you just help me with the problem I'm having and get me through the next week with some comfort and encouragement? Just say the thing.
0: Yeah. Um, so we have a – we found – there's a relevant article. We found another article describing specifically the Star Wars one, and I want to just give you maybe the most uh, terrifying uh, sentence of the whole thing. After the 40-minute play – Pastor slash director Hughes delivered a Star Wars infused sermon likening, oh, oh there's another uh, bad name, Dearth Vader, to the angel Lucifer, who was cast out of heaven after a spiritual battle and sent to earth to rule over sinners. He also mentioned how in 1977, Star Wars creator George Lucas' intention with the film was to reintroduce the concept of religion that there's another world spiritual one out there. Quote, just look at the striking resemblance of the Phantom Menace to the devil. The pastor said, referring to one of the Star Wars sequels, it made for some very interesting preaching. By the way, if your <laughs> preaching ever gets described as interesting, you didn't—you <laughs> need to rethink some things. I've That's not great. Been the receiving end of that one. Um, I'm pretty sure George Lucas's intention was to make a space western, not reintroduce, yeah, a religion into the collective consciousness of America. But also, um, the part where <laughs> Lucifer loses a battle and gets cast out of heaven. That's not in the Bible. Yeah. That's in Paradise Lost.
1: Yeah. (laughs) You wrote
0: a Star Wars fan fiction musical about another piece of fan fiction.
1: Yeah. (laughs) This
0: is like a photocopy of someone's drawing of having seen Star Wars. This is truly insane.
1: Wow. I want to make one offer because here on the Say That podcast, we're nothing if not generous. You you know, you you say that you have a passion for pop culture and you want to bring it into your church and infuse it into your message. And in general, uh, you should not do that. As these gentlemen have pointed out, you should you know tend to people's needs and get to know them. But there is one exception I'm prepared to make, which is if you want to put on a production of Stop the Planet of the Apes, I Want to Get Off. From The Simpsons, wow. the musical presentation of the Planet of the Apes musical, complete with all the musical numbers. If you are prepared to do that and then d- preach a sermon afterwards extolling the spiritual truths of that, I would attend that.
2: I'll also accept uh, a-, a live action reproduction of the monorail episode.
1: Yes. Yes. Also good. Also good. Yeah. Actually, you know what? Just to make it blanket most of the first 10 seasons of the Simpsons. If you can recreate one, I will show up to that church.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And here's the say that promise is a partnership. If you are willing to recreate it, I can make the sermon.
1: Yeah. Like in 10 minutes,
0: I can Lyle Landley is trying to, you know, tempt everyone beyond themselves. And it's, you know, we all need the Leonard Nimoy in our life who it doesn't seem like he's doing anything, but didn't he and all that, you know, teamwork. It's not Batman. That yeah. is a scientist.
3: Yeah. Wow.
0: I, f- I feel like you could fit a lot of like theologicalist words into, to rhyme with chimpanzee to chimpanzee,
1: <laughs> and just fit that right in there. <laughs> no, you'll never make a sinner out of me.
0: Yeah, ah.
1: Oh my gosh, ah. I was wrong. It was inherent
0: yeah. all along. You finally oh. made a sinner out of me.
1: Oh, dude. <laughs> Respect. Yeah, Respect. we just came
0: up with a, a Calvinist... Simpsons musical that had an actual point to make. So take that. I want to go back to the part where they, they crucified Doc Brown, Jack Sparrow and Simba. (laughs) (laughs) What? Like, okay. Doc Brown and Jack Sparrow. That's, that's weird. That's bad. Whatever. (laughs) Don't crucify Simba, dude. Are you just trying to traumatize children?
1: Yes. (laughs) Yes. Yes, they are. Like, wow.
0: Also, I, we, we were talking about this for the show. Like they described, they did a Batman theme and apparently with a drivable Batmobile. So if you ever wonder where your money's going, yeah, they did. Um, but it, it ends with like Superman swo- swoops in and saves the day. Uh, Superman is literally, if you don't know about the history of comics, a messianic figure, he was written to like, he was written by two uh, Jewish young men in the 1930s to literally with traits of the, the Messiah as they understood it. And it was a social justice thing. Very cool. Um, so that okay, Star Wars, you got good versus evil. What what deep analogy are you drawing out of Back to the Future? <laughs> There's no evil to triumph over. Like he right. gets his parents to conceive he's, him, which is is the point of that movie if you think about yeah, like, it.
2: Like it feels like a lot of the movie, he's just he's trying to get his mom to not be so sexually attracted to him. Yeah. <laughs> Which I mean... That's like a lot of it.
0: There are a lot of Old Testament stories where similar, you know, you
2: can work that in, but it shouldn't be a, a musical, probably. Not on Easter.
0: <laughs>
2: There's a whole other story I mean, you should be doing. If, if, we're, if, we're, talking, if we're talking, you know, uh, uh, Jacob and Tamar, I mean, I guess, buddy, but <laughs> this is also, you know, it's like Simba, like the Lion King is a, it's kind of a retelling of Hamlet. As far as I understand it. So I don't yeah. know how we Eastered that up either. I mean, this is all so wacky. What I want to see is I want to see this guy in this church do a 40 minute Easter play out of like, out of something like the, uh, the like the, the Cola Wars from the 1980s, <laughs> you know, like just the Pepsi versus Coke.
1: Oh Yeah. Uh, now, to be clear, again, along with my Simpsons offer, if I walk into your church and you're playing the theme for Crystal Pepsi, I'll stay a few minutes.
0: <laughs> They're speaking of things that will rise again.
1: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, I won't stay long, but but uh, the Crystal Pepsi theme, you know, I'm going to create almost like a time-based economy. Uh, if I hear that, you, you got 10 minutes. That's good. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Yeah. Now, this is
2: a really interesting question. Like, how long can a church get Jed to stay? Yeah. What will it take?
0: Well, let, let me pitch you a few real-life examples from this relevant article, of this show, and see how much they buy on the Jed Brewer time scale.
1: Okay, I'm ready. <laughs> so I'm we've ready. got
0: the, the crucifixions of Doc Brown, Jack Sparrow, and Simba. So probably not a lot there. No. Let's see here. Uh, we've got... Uh, the Lion King of Judah, which was their Lion King one, because, mm, man, he got with those puns in where he can, apparently involved a cover of Adele's Someone Like You and what appeared to be someone in a Kellogg's Fruit Loops Toucan Sam costume.
1: Okay, Toucan, you got me. Toucan <laughs> Sam, you got a few minutes off that, maybe seven or eight.
2: Okay, see, it came <laughs> out of nowhere. Uh, <laughs> let's see. Uh, there was a... Christian... Wait, Jen, do we increase the number of minutes if they offer you a bowl of Fruit
1: Loops? You got 15.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Let's see. A, a sanctified cover. I don't know what that means. That's the term that's being used in this article of Uptown Funk for a Christian Back to the Future parody.
1: That's nothing. Negative minutes, dude. okay. N- yeah, no, no.
0: How about here we go? This is the big finale. Okay. For example, the entire cast of Toy Story. Lamenting the crucifixion, I assume of either Woody or Buzz Lightyear, but doesn't say. Wow, with an imagined dragon's cover.
1: You know what? That is precisely psychedelic enough. I'm going to give you a good five minutes on that because, man, that's that's weird. You really went all the way there, bro. Well, we'll
0: close the segment out with some extra weird because, again, we only have clips of these, and apparently they only stream them around Easter. Which does say that at least these people have the good sense to be slightly ashamed of this. And there's something to be said for that. But there are apparently some lost volumes of ones that it's said that they do, but at best we can tell the, the footage cannot be found. So, and they are Star Wars, so, footage of that has been found. Monty Python and the Holy Grail, which again, that,
1: fascinating.
0: That feels like you're kind of cheating in some way. Also, there's several scenes of that. You just have to cut out whole cloth.
2: <laughs> but I do hope it ends I'm, the same way.
1: No idea what you might be thinking of. If there's one thing I can't
2: stand, it's groveling. Yeah, <laughs> It's like those
1: miserable psalms. They're so depressing.
0: <laughs>
2: um, Tombstone,
1: okay, <laughs> which okay. is a great
0: movie, but again, should not be made into a Christian allegory. And also, and I feel like we may have missed this part, of the thing, should not be made into a musical. Yeah, I don't want Doc Brown. I, I don't want Doc Holliday to do a heartfelt ballad called I'm Your Huckleberry.
2: Oh, <laughs> oh, oh, gosh. Now, is he going to do a prop mustache or is Pastor Hughes going to actually grow that bad boy out? As that depends yeah. how it
0: goes. How many strong mustaches can we get in this?
2: And then the the <laughs> final
0: one, and this may not mean much to people who are not of a certain age. This is not as well-known a movie. They apparently did one based on Boys in the Hood.
2: Nope. Wow. Don't do that. I take it
0: back to this church located in Winnipeg, Manitoba, <laughs> Canada. Yeah. Apparently did a Chris, original Christian musical based on Boys in the Hood.
1: You know, this goes back some years now, but, you know, all of us had blogs and we would do a lot of people would ask questions and we would write responses. And I think my favorite thing from that period was a two sentence reply from Matt. Someone wrote in with a truly terrible idea and Matt simply wrote, do not do it. This thing you are thinking of doing, do not do that. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs)
0: By all means, explore the space. You know, we want to want to try something new. That's a great, but you have to know when you've landed on a very, very bad idea.
1: Yeah. That's that's.
0: And then somewhere between buying the costumes at the spirit Halloween store, building original sets, and then welcoming in hundreds of people. You should have realized you should not do this thing.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I
2: call a lot of silk shirts in that boys in the hood musical.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, you know, for the, the Tombstone one, particularly the Monty Python one, that was like, I, I really hope they uncover that footage at some point. For everyone involved, including me, who would, might be tempted to watch it, I hope the Boys in the Hood footage is lost forever.
1: Yeah, it yes. would be for the best.
0: And on that note, we will declare emergency off, until they unless they find that Boys in the Hood footage, in which case, emergency very much back on.
1: <laughs> yep. For them more than anyone.
2: Hey. I also like the idea of there being like some confusing cross streaming where like they like in the in the uh, in like the Pirates of the Caribbean when Jack Sparrow is singing, always look on the bright side of life. <laughs> like just the pages like,
0: got stuck together. That's yeah. A- <laughs> That's right. We will now move on to your fine questions. If you have a question for us, you can hang us all the way to the end or scroll down to your episode description and find the links. Click the links you find there. Our first question comes in and says, I have a question about Matthew ten thirty nine. What does it mean to lose your life? Like, what am I supposed to be giving up? I think a very cool question, and uh, we always enjoy people digging deeper. And this is one of those uh, statements that gets preached about a lot, gets talked about a lot. But um, we can kind of gloss over the, uh, the big picture of it sometimes, I think. And Lee, Lee, where do we start off with this idea of losing your life to find it?
2: Yeah, exactly as Matt said. It's always cool when somebody takes a thing that you hear a lot in church and it says, like, wait a second, what actually does that mean? Um, I was actually in a, in a conversation with a really good friend um, uh, a week or so ago, and we both were just kind of talking about how um, we were just kind of in a conversation about our kids and stuff like that, and, and just kind of realizing how much of growth and maturity is um, intentionally moving past a place of selfishness. Into taking care of and serving somebody else. Um, now that is something that is true in a lot of aspects of life, um, not just in you know like um, you know like religious formation or or you know Christian discipleship or anything like that. That's just true in maturity and relationships, relationships at work. Your you know if you decide to get married or you know any kind of dating relationship you're going to be in. The more you can kind of conquer your own natural selfishness, um, you are going to find um, you're in a healthier relationship space. The way that the Bible talks about the idea of denying yourself is exactly that. It's just to lose your life, um, the, uh, excuse me, to lose your life. It, it's the, the, the other way that New Testament talks about it is Jesus says, you have to deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. Losing your life is basically like choosing on purpose, um, doing things, saying words, actions, energy output, time management, all this resource spending that first of all benefits someone else because you're choosing to love, support, or care for them over yourself. Um, The Bible talks about this in a ton of different ways. And Jesus said that when you do that, you find your life. Now, that's a very kind of Eastern way of talking. That's not really the way people in the West talk about stuff. If you, if you lose your life, you find it. But if you, but if you hang on to your life, you'll lose it, Jesus said. And what he's saying there is, if you grow into the place in your relationships and the way you spend your time, the way you think and speak and spend resources and your energy and that kind of stuff, so that what you do first of all benefits someone else who is in need over yourself you 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 conquer your own kind of natural selfishness and you take care of somebody else what you're going to find is you're going to find an actual deep satisfaction that is really hard to describe until you experience it there's a natural thing that happens i know this is true for me and i, I assume it's true for other people that if you gave me like okay you have an entire day off you can do whatever you want to do and if i was to design that day to completely fill up like i'm going to fill the entire day with whatever i want i'm going to eat whatever i want i'm going to watch whatever i want i'm going to hang out with whoever i want to hang out with and not hang out with anybody i don't want to that would be probably really really cool for a day if you did it if i did that for if i did that for 2 days It would be a little less cool, I'm thinking, on day two, maybe getting into three, four, five. At a certain point, I'm going to get really sick of that. One of the things that I've found is when I spend—and this is just in growth and maturity and not just in my walk with Jesus as a person who knows and loves and believes in Jesus—but when I spend my energy to care for somebody else who has a need, that is a fulfilling thing in a way that that having my perfect day off or whatever is not having yep. the perfect day off is really fun and really enjoyable. And it's, it's an important thing to do for self care to every now and then make sure you just take a day off and spend it the way you would most want to spend it. But what you find is when you, when you get a hold of this thing that Jesus is talking about and losing your life. And in other words, Tamping down selfishness on purpose and spending my resources and my energy and my time to care for the needs of somebody else who needs help that I can actually hook up, man, When the way Jesus said it is, you'll find your life. And what he's saying is, you're going to find that that thing satisfies you and fills you up in a deep place that actually doesn't get old. Um, this Last week, we, we took a bunch of high school guys, uh, a bunch of high school kids up to Chicago, to be a part of the, of, uh, the ministry that, where Matt, Matt and Jed worked for a bunch of years. And one of the things that we did there was that we took the kids to a community garden and just had them do yard work in <laughs> the ludicrously blazing sun of Chicago, Illinois, for some reason. And, you know, if you had told a couple of those kids, like, hey, the, one of the most fulfilling things you're going to do this summer, and one of the things that makes you the happiest this summer is, you're going to spend a really hot, sweaty morning pulling weeds in a community garden. They would be like, what? I would think the, the coolest thing I could do this summer is to like lay around in my sweatpants and play video games, which laying around in your sweatpants and playing video games is really fun, really cool. But I guarantee you this, that morning that those kids spent working in that community garden for someone else's benefit, it fulfilled them in a different way. And, and it's going to be a memory that they have for the rest of their lives in some way because it opened a new world to them, which is when I spend my energy and my resources to benefit someone else who needs my help. Man, that is a different kind of life, and I found it. I found it by laying down my own kind of selfish desire to do my life any way I wanted to do it.
0: I think it's an excellent place to start off. And, Jed, where would we take it from there?
1: Man, I agree with absolutely everything Lee said there. That's really well put. I would— just kind of underscore a couple things, Um, regardless of your faith tradition, uh, regardless uh, certainly of your denomination, the following is a constant of the human experience. A satisfying life is an interconnected life. Mm. You will find it extraordinarily difficult to have a satisfying life that is only about you. Uh, A a truly self-focused life is hardly ever a good one. In the vast majority of cases, a satisfying life is an interconnected life. But Jed, Howard
2: Hughes looks so happy in that movie. You you know, (laughs) we should
1: maybe watch that again.
0: He was so happy he didn't have time to use the actual restroom. I didn't pay too much attention to that movie, but I think that's why he was doing that.
1: Sure. But, you know, we're actually going to use kind of a a fun example, I think, to, to demonstrate this, right? You know, so... Dogs, domestication of dogs goes back tens of thousands of years. They have been bred since long before recorded human history to be the ideal companion for human beings, to be pure joy and loyalty and protectiveness and all of the good things. Like you can make the argument that dogs are the very best of us. And so having a dog could be one of the coolest things in your life, like this huge source of joy and companionship. But it only works if you're prepared to care about something other than yourself. Like that, that dog's prepared to get in there and dog it up and, and, and really go to town. But if you're not willing to like to build a relationship with the dog, it, it won't work. And so one of the, the weird things that we find is that if you said, I want to live a life where I max out what is best for me, like, I want to be all about my own best self-interest, but in a big picture sense, you would do a lot of looking out for other people. This is the Mm. really surprising thing. Like you would say having a dog and the connection with the dog is great, so I, I, have to, I have to look out for the dog. Having friends is a part of life, but friends are in many ways reciprocal relationships. You have to invest in friendships in order to have rich friendships. You have to, you have to care about other people. The, the list goes on and on, and it applies to your family. It applies to your faith community. And again, these are the things you would land on even if you're like, I'm only doing what's best for me but in a big picture sense, because part of what's so poisonous about self-centeredness and about greed, because they're basically the same thing, is how counterproductive they are, mm. how much they promise things that they absolutely cannot deliver. You know, there, there are some bad moves that we make in life that, that kind of more or less give what they told us that they would. Greed is destructive, and it's not just destructive for everybody else. It's destructive for you. Self-centeredness, like true short-sighted self-centeredness, literally never works out for the person doing it. So yeah. I would absolutely agree with Lee that Jesus is describing something beyond even a big picture self-centeredness. He, he's saying that not only should you do the amount of looking out for others that will lead to you having you know, a satisfying life, you will find a depth of meaning then when you're giving in a way where you're not going to get something back out of it. Where you're, it's, you know, you're not loving these people because you expect them to love you back, but you're, you're uh, giving to people who can't repay you. That then there is a, a depth and a beauty and a spiritual discipline there and something that honors God and something that gives us a way to truly give worship to the Lord. But I think it's okay to start with the idea that it's good for you to want a satisfying life, and a satisfying life is an interconnected one. A self-centered life just is not going to work out.
3: Mm.
0: I think mean, that's absolutely right. It's all really, really great stuff. And again, it's definitely worth, as we always talk about with these these uh, verses, when people ask about a specific verse, looking at the context, and particularly in Matthew 10, um, it's, it's in an interesting place. It's not necessarily surrounded by the things you would think if you were just looking at that kind of isolated statement. It's when Jesus sends out his, his 12 disciples, and it's a lot of the context of things is none of this is going to look like you thought it would. Yeah. Um. It's the part where he talks about, "Do not suppose that I've come to bring peace to earth. I've come. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I've come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household." When you get fairly caught up in the, in the specifics on that, and that's that's, I mean, there's definitely a lot there to pick through. But as we're talking about uh, setting a context, one of the things that I think we definitely skip over when we talk about the the story of the Twelve Disciples, particularly in uh, a modern context, because a lot of the modern context of Christianity, at least in America and in the West, has been set, uh, tried to be subsumed by something they call family values. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so a very uncomfortable part about that is that being that all Twelve Disciples were adult men in this uh, time and place, they probably, statistically, all had families which Jesus specifically said leave them behind right. and do this instead um as much as that would go against even our our current ideas of of morals and societal norms uh for first century palestine that was a really really big deal and a thing you certainly probably would not expect god to call you to do because so much of their worship of god and their conception of of community and God was was based in family. You know, honor your father and mother is one of the commandments. Um, I, I think a lot of what we talk about when we talk about um, lose your life, that you may find it, is exactly as these guys are talking about, not even necessarily giving up something you're doing, but giving up ways you're willing to think about something and mm. uh, narratives that you're trying to, to get a hold of and uh, not even bad things. I think one of the ways that this verse is really, really poorly used and weaponized against people is the idea that you should give up wanting bad things and want good things. You shouldn't want to eat chocolate cake. You should want to eat your vegetables. That's basically what this means. You, you know, you should not want to do things that are fun or exciting or slightly naughty. You should want to come to church, you know, lose your life to find it. I, I imagine maybe the single most, um, used analogy of that is, uh, don't worry about the early in a, catching kickoff of the early NFL game. You should be here doing this, um, you know. And it definitely does bear out as you guys, these guys are saying in incidents, right? In in episodes and singular singular uh, decisions you make, because that's where things bear out in life. But one of the things I think we're we're definitely called to give up, and that there's a lot of freedom in giving up, is what you thought something was supposed to look like. And I think in a lot of ways what we're doing is giving up what we thought like a christian person would do or what we thought a holy person would do or what we thought the the right way or the most fulfilling thing would be and uh, as these guys pointed out that often looks like uh doing things that don't feel that glamorous or aren't that amazing or aren't that kind of high high impact in the way we thought they would it might be you know talking to someone who's lonely or Um, helping somebody out when you see them having a struggle or going to the community garden. And those things are all around us. And I think we find a lot more of them. We find a lot more life when we let go of what we think our life should look like and trying to fit it into a particular box. We find a lot of life along that path. Move on to our second question here. It comes in and says, I feel like decisions in my church are all made by committee, but not like a defined committee that we know who's on it. Just kind of waiting for a group consensus. This seems really inefficient to me. And am, am I wrong to not like decision by committee? Is there a way I can bring this up and try to fix it? And another, another very interesting question about a dynamic that we probably have all experienced on some level uh, here and there. And Lee, where do we start off?
2: Yeah, this is a very interesting question. And the the thing is, is that with the structure of a church, it completely depends right? Whether or not you're going to be able to affect a change as a person who's not comfortable with the leadership structure, it just really depends. I mean, certain denominational models just have uh, a style of leadership as a patent part of uh, of the denomination. So for instance, if you are a part of a Presbyterian church, then it is led by a group of elders. That's what the the presbytery is it's it's all based on those are the same word is what I'm saying like in a in a you know in a different kind of translation the that is a a council of people who are responsible for kind of setting the general direction and of you know budget and vision and and how we're going to handle things ideally um, and that is a biblical concept that you would have a, a body of people who would you know be Be over, you know how we're going to how we're going to manage this, you know these resources, and how we're going to take care of uh, the people that need to be taken care of. How we're going to, um, you know, care for widows and orphans and all that stuff. You you can see a lot of examples in the in Paul's letters and stuff like that of like there's a body of people who who decide that that's modeled out kind of like in the in the Presbyterian model. You'll see other denominations where they don't have the elder board thing at all. They have a body of deacons who um, do various ministries in the church, but they have kind of a, like a, a, a CEO or a mayor-type person that's usually they call the head pastor, and then you have the associate pastor who's under them. And that person is really calling shots. In that kind of a leadership model, you're going to have— um, the decision-making is going to be more efficient in the sense of you got one guy calling the shots or one gal calling the shots— um, and then in a model where you've got you know a board of people, it's going to be much different. What's interesting is in the in the modern kind of mega church uh, movement, they're they're in a weird way even more different. Like a lot of times they are just kind of run by, and it can be even more than one church run by like a personality, um, just the famous. You know the famous preacher, the 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 members of the church that everybody knows have like super deep pockets. They're invited in on those conversations and stuff like that. I don't know what to tell you as far as you know. Am I going to be able to get in there and suggest a different kind of leadership model? Probably not. But understand that certain denominations have the leadership model that they do because it's inherent in the denomination, um, and some of them are just run because this person that everybody you know, likes to follow, um, started this thing, and they call all the shots. What I would suggest is look for a church where the leadership structure is obvious. You can tell who's a part of those decisions and conversations, and those people are people who are definitely well-known for being people who know how to listen and and, and who know how to serve people, who are not interested in money or power but who are interested in actually caring for the needs of people and are good listeners. I would start there by looking for a church that is plain about who is making decisions, and the people that are making decisions are people who care about taking care of folks who have needs.
0: A great place to start that off. And Jed, what would you add to that?
1: I think it's a fine question that you've asked, and uh, certainly uh, everything Lee told you is awesome. I think kind of my big picture answer to your question, you say, Am I, can I bring it up and try to fix this? It depends. Um, there's a lot of details that go into this stuff, and we don't know most of the details of your situation. So I, I don't know if you could bring it up, and I don't know if you could try and fix it, and what you've described could mean any number of things, right? You you say that, you know, there's kind of they wait for group consensus on everything, there are actually churches where that's an intentional strategy, where yeah. basically we want everyone in this church to agree that this is the right way to go, and then that's the thing that we're going to do. And there there may be good and valid reasons for it. There may not be, too, um, but, man, it, it, it kind of all depends. Um, I think it's worth asking, in terms of bringing it up and, and affecting change, are you involved in leadership? Because if you're involved in some way in leadership where they've, you know— you know, brought you in invited you know giving you a seat at the table, so to speak, then you know perhaps um it's also worth asking, are there specific decisions that you're wanting to see the church make in a more timely and intentional fashion, or are you just trying to change this cultural thing because mm. those are two very different things, right yeah. like trying to change the overall culture is going to take a long time. there's not a fast version of that um if you've just got, you know, we've got to figure out what we're going to do with this parking lot. There's not enough parking and we got to, you know, we need to, to make this happen. I mean, it's it's much easier to prioritize like one decision and be like, I know we don't normally move quickly on things, but, you know, this is a problem. We're going to get after it. So I, I think the more that you can be clear on. Do you have a cultural problem here or are there You know, a few specific things you want to see happen? I, I think that's going to help. But one thing I really want you to think about, because the following comes up a lot is. How would you feel about this church? Would you still want to go there if this never got better? Mm. I can't tell you the number of people who go to a church that they mostly hate, but they're like, but I can fix it. I can improve it. I can I can help them change. And, man, I can't tell you how rarely that happens. <laughs> how rarely you are able to affect substantive change at this church that you mostly hate. Um. Like, I can't. I can't guarantee you that it won't happen in your case. You could be the one. Like, you could. You know, you could get involved and everything just works. And you know, just it. And you know, you redefine the culture and it's the whole thing. And and good on you if you're able to do that. But just so you know, that almost never ever happens. And Jed's been to many churches, dude. I have been to a lot. That that is no lie. So, again. The, Bear in mind the idea of, I, I hate the way this church does things, and it mostly makes you miserable, but I feel like maybe I should just be here and, and fix it. A lot of people feel that way. They almost never get the outcome that they're looking for. With that in mind, would you be okay with still being here if this was never going to be different than what it is? And thing number three, would you be okay with making the investment of being there for several years with a very significant chance that you would not get to see the changes that you would like to see. Like if you got to, because most changes take real time. If it was five years from now and you had spent five years trying to help them come around and they had not, could you live with that? Because that's one of the very real costs you're looking at. And if you're like, no, I would feel like that was a wasted five years. Then I really want to encourage you to think about what that means for whether or not you want to hang on here.
0: I, think that's fantastic stuff from both of these guys. Um, To that point that Jed is closing us on there, one other very good question I think to ask yourself is, is this actually a problem? Yep. Like, are there things that are being missed or lost by not making decisions quickly? Or are you just someone who is annoyed when people take a long time to make a decision? Yep. Which is fine. That's not, you know, we all have things that annoy us, but there's a difference between this is a problem and this drives me crazy. And it's fine to let that influence how you interact with uh, an organization or a group. Um, maybe you say, you know, I go to this church and I love it and the people are really nice and I have find ways I can contribute. You know, they keep asking me, they ask me if I wanted to be on the, the leadership team or the deacon corps, or the elder board or whatever. And I have seen the way that goes and it is just... You know, I feel like it's a free-for-all and I just would, it would drive me nuts if we had to wait six months or anything to get done. So I don't feel like that's a good fit for me to Jed's point right. about you don't have to go to church. You also don't have to be involved in leadership. You don't yeah. have to, Yeah. you don't have to go to that meeting. You can do the parts of this you like. And that's, that's cool. Now, if you feel convicted, if you, if there is a sense that this is something we need to change, then that's fine. But again, I, one, I think important place to start is, is this something that is a pro and this works in all this, I think applies to all areas of life. This could be church. This could be friendship groups. This could be at work. This could be organizations you volunteer with. Is this a problem? Is this causing problems or is it just not the way I would do things? Because Mm. those are two very, very different uh, diagnoses and lead to different, uh, lead to different choices on your end as well. They should. That said, we're going to move to our final question here. It comes in and says, I'm going to a new church. I really like it. It's very welcoming and accepting, which is different than the church I grew up in. I'm nervous to talk to my family about it. They aren't like super conservative, but I'm worried that they will feel that my like me enjoying my new church is rejecting something about them. Does that make sense? How do I prepare for that conversation? And another very, very cool question kind of goes along in some ways with a question we talked about in the last episode with looking for a new church, kind of breaking out of the the church tradition you grew up in, uh, and I really, really like it. And Lee, where do we start off?
2: This is a very cool question. It's worded very well. First of all, congratulations on finding um, a, a church that's both welcoming and accepting. Hurrah! Yeah. <laughs> Somebody's doing something right. That's fantastic. I'm so happy for you off of that. And I think this is—you this is, ha- you obviously are a person with a lot of empathy, and so I, I want to laud you for that as well. It's a really cool thing, and it's and it's a and it's an astute observation that your empathy leads you in the direction of. I'm nervous about this conversation because I'm afraid that by rejecting this church, I'm going to make them feel like I'm rejecting something about them. That's a that's a really that's that's a really sharp place to be to be wondering about. I'm very sensitive to this question as well because I at age. I want to say 18 had this exact converse. Well, a very similar conversation with my own folks. Um, I left the church that I had been raised in, which sounds a lot like the one that you're um, <laughs> planning on leaving. Um, it was not welcoming. It was not accepting. I felt a lot of, there were a lot of expectations, a lot of guilt and shame, a lot of really funky motivators in that environment. And, Um, I accepted it for most of my life. And then all of a sudden I met some different people and they were going to basically a little house church and, um, that started meeting in a middle school and I went there and it was both welcoming and accepting and it was a totally different experience. And so I went to my folks and had this conversation with them. My folks handled that conversation really, really well. I didn't know a lot about boundaries at the time, but one of the things that, that i do remember about that conversation was i was not asking them if i was going if they would allow me to do that i was saying as an 18-year-old person i i really appreciate what you have done for us as far as getting us you know getting us in a place where we would hear about jesus i am now going to choose where i go to hear about jesus and the community that i'm going to be in And that's kind of the thing with boundaries: is if anyone's new to the show, um, when you have a boundary a boundary setting conversation with someone, you are not trying to change anything about them. You are describing what you will or won't do, and there's a big difference there. So, you're not trying to to change anything about your folks or anything like that. But you are saying, "This is what I am going to do." Now, as far as the particular tension that you're worried about raising. The one thing that occurs to me on this is that um, just remembering that when you you think about like changing – like a changing stance, you know, maybe it's going to reflect something bad or missing about them. I think it would be important in that conversation to use the kind of therapy words of I feel and I want – these kinds of words start out your sentences kind of keeping the spotlight on the fact that this decision is about you. It's not about your parents. It's not about, it's not even really, it's not it doesn't even really have to be about the church that you're walking away from. You found something good and positive where you feel um excited about your faith and your walk with the Lord. That's a very positive thing. And you can keep that focus on that positivity and on yourself so that this is not a, a thing that automatically makes them feel like they are being personally rejected. Again, this is a boundary conversation. You're talking about what you will and won't do, and you can use the words like I feel and I want to talk, to kind of keep the spotlight on on your feelings, to kind of reduce that potential tension of them feeling personally rejected.
0: I think it's a great, great place to start us off. And Jed, I, I think Lee giving us that context for the conversation he had is a very good one because every conversation you have like this will probably have its own context. So I'm 18, I still live at your house. We still all go to this church together. I still live in this town. It's very specific context to have that conversation in. Yeah. Um there are other contexts that may require less explanation if you are older, if you live somewhere else, if you have gone to a different church before. How do we gauge not only going into this conversation how we need to handle it. But I guess the way I would put this, how much of this conversation we need to have.
1: It's a great question, man. You know, obviously Lee is right on with everything they he told you, but let's kind of look at a context where you don't live with your parents. Maybe you're not in the same town, maybe you live somewhere else. And, and there, my question for you to think about, and there, there's not one right answer to it. I do want you to think about it is why do you need to talk to your family about this at all? Right. And, The reason why I want to encourage you to to think about that is to understand you don't owe other people an explanation for what you do. You don't owe other people a justification for what you do. Amen. Um, One of the neat things about being a human being is having agency and making the decisions that seem best to you. And you don't, not only do you not have to justify your choices uh, to, to other people, one of the really cool things that actually I think most people should be experiencing on a semi-regular basis is sensing within yourself, this is right for me, even when you're not fully able to explain why. Mm. Um, is something about, you know, I've, I've worked in creative fields for a long time and all the time I kind of make value judgments of this is the right chord. I'm not sure I can tell you why, but this is the, this is the chord. This is what it should be. This is the right way to say this lyric. I don't know why, but it's the right way. You know, this is this is the right approach to you know this graphic design thing. <laughs> a lot of life is meant to be filled out, um, to use not a word. A lot of life is is meant to be felt out. Um, you, there's not there's not a better way to do it, and I don't know this is the case for your family, but there are definitely families who demand that you must be able to put into words and justify and make an argument for and defend your position. And you don't have to do any of that. You don't have to do it for them. That's right. You don't have to do it for yourself either. You're you're allowed to just be like, no, I dig that. I'm not sure why, but I dig it, so I'm gonna do that. If you want to talk to your family about it, um you you can express it in whatever way you're comfortable with, including saying, I was ready for a change. Um that's literally as good of an explanation as any other particularly in the context of a relationship where you you don't owe people an explanation the one other thing that i would add for for you to think about is that it is an unreasonable expectation for anyone to have you have for you in basically any arena of life that what you've always done is what you should always do yeah that is not a reasonable expectation. Um, There's from a Christian worldview, there's basically one relationship in your life. And that is the relationship of marriage where you are pledging. We're going to always be together no matter what, but here's the kicker. We're going to work all day, every day to make that possible and to make that be a thing that, that can exist. The rest of life, man, including relationships, including what you do and where you go and blah, 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 it's all in a state of flux. The, the idea that what you've always done is what you should always do is not realistic. That's not the way that human beings live their lives. And mostly it's driven by other people's insecurity because they feel like, well, but to change anything is a criticism. And therefore you're saying what I do is bad. No, I'm just saying life is change. Nothing Nothing stays the same forever. Nothing is supposed to stay the same forever. That's that's not how life on this planet works. So this is one of those moments where, you know, like the, the, the fake apology is always, hey, if you chose to be offended by my words, well, I'm sorry you chose to feel that way. <laughs> um, that, that That's the fake apology that you should never give anyone on anything. But there's a weird element here of like. Dude, if you make a change just because you want to and it's good for you and other people choose to read that as a negative commentary on what they do, that is on them. That's, that's not – unless you've gone to them and you said, I'm choosing my new church because yours sucks. So every time I go to church on Sunday morning, I hope you think about how much I hate you and I'm looking down on you. Unless you've <laughs> communicated that message, if they choose to take it in a negative light, that's on them. You don't have to justify the things that bring you joy. That's right. That's
0: absolutely right. And it is worth saying that even if the reason you were going to the new church is because you think the church that they go to sucks, you're not under any compulsion to say that. Yep. Um, I think particularly for people who are maybe a little early in the boundaries journey, and I think this happens a lot with their, with their, with people who are doing this with their families. There's this idea of defaulting to over-explaining.
2: Yes. 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 To
0: saying like, I'm, I'm I really need to make my case, and I need to make them see what this is. And, uh, oftentimes that comes from a very good place. You know, you know, you never felt like you could speak up for yourself uh, growing up. And part of this journey to health is I can speak up for myself. And that's definitely true. And that's something we definitely want for you, but there's definitely a time and a place. Um, a lot of times there are, sometimes there are difficult conversations that we have to have a hundred percent of, um, oftentimes that's with, you know, a really close family member, or you might be a parent or with your. Your spouse or a partner, and there's an idea of uh, letting any of this conversation go unsaid is going to cause problems down the line. That is not the case in every conversation with every person. Mm-hmm. Um, If let's say you're in a new town, you you, know, you moved, maybe you went to co- maybe you went off to college, maybe you got a new job somewhere, going to a different church, and your parents are definitely church people, so they talk and say, "Well, have you found a church yet?" You can definitely give them the whole hog and say, yep, I did. And it doesn't have any of the stuff I hated about your crappy church. And that's (laughs) the best part about it. Um, that would all be true. And you, you might even be right to say it. If you went to a church, if you were forced to go to a church at some point that you felt really, um, had a negative impact on you, but maybe the easier place to start is, yeah, we did. We really like it. End of conversation. Let's move on to the next thing. You know, maybe they dig in and say, oh well. You know, is it a, a UMC church or an SBC church? Like, oh no, it's it's this. We we found one that's close to our house, or the people are nice, or a friend invited us. Whatever it is, we found a church. We really like it. You're not under any. Uh, there, there's no moral or strategic value to just giving a bunch of extra details to uh, stir into a a confrontation that nobody wants to have. Now, it is worth as you go into that uh, thinking through. What will happen if they say, "Well, it's you, you you've rejected all of our teachings, and you, therefore you are a wicked child who is da, da da da"? Uh by the way, uh, say that top tip. A great thing to happen then is to hang up the phone. Yep. Yeah. Don't actually have to counterpoint. Don't have to dig in and say, "Oh, well, that's we're not doing that." Bye. Um. But and unfortunately, some conversations do go the other way. Some people are just so dug into the thing, but. There's nothing wrong with trying to go for the easy route on round one. That's not emotionally right. unhealthy. That's not uh denial. That's not not engaging with the the whatever. It's fine to say this is all the information they need. This is any more information. This might be uh changing something. They're not they don't have any control over where I go to church. So I'm gonna tell them, yep, found one, it's great, I like it. Don't have to get into what I like about it, don't have to get into what I didn't like about theirs. Again, if they pick that fight, you may be ready to have it, but you don't have to pick it for them. That's actually not part of healthy boundaries is drawing a boundary at every step you can. Boundaries are often about drawing boundaries where you have to, to mm. maintain uh, some safety and some uh, health for yourself. And that is a very, very good thing, obviously. All right. If you have a question for us, at podcast, gmail.com, thebridgechicago.tumblr.com slash ask. want to keep that entirely anonymous. Of the song this week. This is a bit of a throwback from our friends Brian and Clark in Southern Ooh, Harmonic. Nice. Their version of Come Thou Found with a special verse that you probably don't hear if you didn't go to an extremely Southern church growing up. A great one. we that. Thanks for listening. To this. remember, we love you. God loves you. There's nothing you can do about it. Come Thou Found.